What's up, everybody? Welcome to the second episode of Against the Grain. Man, I'm excited. I got something special planned for y'all today, reading a Bible story. If you haven't listened to the first episode, go back and catch up. Listen to that on all streaming platforms. But y'all already know how I like to do things. So before we get started, we're going to kick things off with a word of prayer. So if you would, just bow your heads and go with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you again for this day. Thank you for yet another opportunity to be able to share the word that you've placed on my heart. God, I pray that you open the hearts, minds, and ears of the listeners and just allow them to lean in and listen and be able to receive what I'm about to say and what you put on my heart to be able to tell them, God. I pray that each person is able to take away something that can help them go against the grain this week and just live a better, transformed, and empowered life where they know that they are already winning, God, and that no matter what is thrown at them, they have the capacity and the scripture to be able to stand on your word and believe and declare who you say they are and what is going to happen in their lives i'm thanking you for that transformation for a successful episode and i'm believing you for it in jesus name i pray amen all right guys let's get into it so today we're going to be reading the story in the old testament it's actually not a very well-known story but it's one of my favorites which is why i wanted to share it with you and um, the first time I heard somebody read it or talk about it or discuss it, it really blessed me. And um, uh, it's actually about Elisha. So for those of you that are familiar with him, not Elijah, but his successor, Elisha, um, coming out of 2 Kings chapter number 6, verse number 8. So going to read that, verses 8 through 23 as well in the NLT. So 2 Kings chapter number 6, verse number 8 through 23, um, New Living Translation. So going to read that for you guys real quick. Then I'm going to give you all some context into what it means. Then kind of go back, kind of break it down a little bit, and we'll talk about it. I'll give you all some points, and then that's going to be it for this week. So for those of y'all that have y'all Bibles or got y'all apps on y'all phone or tablet or whatever, um, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter number 6, verse number 8, and we're going to start with verse number 8. So. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officer and say, we'll mobilize our troops to such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, will warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elijah warned the king so that he would be on alert there. The king of Aram became very upset over this, and he called to his officer and demanded, which one of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, the king. One of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. A report came back that Elisha is in Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elijah played, Oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses, with horses and chariots of fire. As the Aramean army advanced toward them, Elijah played, Oh Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked. Then Elijah went out and told them, You've come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. 
Follow me and I will take you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. Verse 20. So as soon as they had entered Samaria, Elijah prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted, Elijah, my father, should I kill him? Should I kill him? Of course not, Elijah replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? No. Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. Verse 23, so the king made a great feast for them, and he sent them home to their master. After that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. Now, that's just a great story, to me at least. That's, that's just a great story. Now, just some context and some background into that particular story, starting with Aram. Um, Aram is basically the Hebrew designation for the nation of Syria. In fact, in the King James Version, it doesn't say um, Aram or the Aramaeans. It says Syria and the Syrians. So it's kind of interchangeable there. So pretty much Syria. And, uh, but for the sake of this podcast, and since we read it from the NLT, we're going to stick with Aram and the Aramaeans. But either way, the king of Aram um, was basically trying to, in a gangster way, like manhandle and besiege Israel and Samaria. But as you can see from the story, that all his plans would be foiled by that because of the prophet Elisha and the relationship he had with God and how, you know, what we just heard. God would tell him everything he would say and then he would tell the king of Israel and all that. Now, just a little bit about Elisha, um, who, like I aforementioned, um, is the successor and performed twice as many miracles as Elijah in First Kings, um, is what I consider to be one of the greatest Old Testament prophets, one of my favorite Old Testament prophets, along with his predecessor, Elijah. And that's not just because that he performed twice as many miracles, but just because of the relationship that he, he had with God, which we so evidently see in this passage of text and even then the fact that Elisha was able to submit to Elijah in the way that he did and get the mantle and the double portion of his of the spirit that was on Elijah like he did was something I really kind of marveled at but um you guys can see how that relationship with God that he had really was beneficial to the king of Israel and Israel at the time and how he was able to um do what he did during that time but um one thing to take note of i guess um if you guys are taking notes i don't know but one thing to take note of is that the events that were taking place in israel right now elisha had a different perspective than everybody else did simply because of the relationship that he had with god which is really noteworthy because that's true in any case someone who has a relationship with god a close relationship with God, as a matter of fact, will see things differently from someone who's either distant or doesn't have one at all. Case in point, if I have a close relationship with God as a believer and me and somebody who's either distant or doesn't have one gets laid off from the same job, the person that doesn't have that relationship or is distant, they might be wigging out, spazzing out like, oh my gosh, I just lost my job. How am I going to pay my rent? blah, 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 X, Y, Z, how am I going to have money, this and that, versus me, I know that that job is not my source. 
God is my source and that job was just my resource. But his word says that I will be provided for and that he is my provider. So if I lost my job, I'm not going to trip. Of course, I might be upset for a little second because I'm human, but I'm not going to trip because God is my source and that job was a resource. So that means he's going to make some other way to provide for me. So that's that's and that's one thing that I liked about Elijah, like what was going on. He was always able to, you know, see things from the lens of his relationship with God versus the other way around. So let's dive back into this story and really break it down to just see the different things that I saw when I was reading this story. So starting with verse number eight um, about, you know, we just said that the king of Aram, he would confer with his officers and mobilize his troops verse 9 but immediately elijah the man of god will go to israel and um tell the king don't send your troops there because the Arameans gonna be there so yeah then verse 11 the king of aram got very upset over this and called his officers together and demanded which of you is the traitor who's snitching who's telling the king of israel what we over here trying to plan which when i put myself in the king of aram's shoes I would probably be upset too. Every time I try to go, you know, attack Israel, they know what we're doing. I would think somebody's snitching too. And I would have something to say about it. Now, I don't know how somebody in the army, which makes me think that somebody in the Aramean army had to be a believer because verse 12, in verse 12 it says, It's not us, my lord, the king. Or maybe it's just because maybe somebody on the enemy's camp is always kind of smart. I don't know. But verse 12, somebody speaks up that has some sense and says, It's not us, my lord, the king. One of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, Even what you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. So whatever the king of Aram says when he rolls over and kisses his wife in the morning, well, clearly God can hear it because God is omniscient. But he tells Elijah and Elijah tells the king. Now, if I was the king of Aram and somebody, all my plans begin foiled because they know all of them. And somebody told me that God hears everything I say and then tells Elijah and then Israel finds out. This is just me. I would try to find a way to stop saying stuff and maybe write something down, maybe get somebody else to plan the attacks, something. That would be the smart thing to do. Clearly, the king of Aram was not that smart. And we see he's not that smart because right after somebody says, hey, man, whatever you say, God hears it and tells Elijah and he tells the king. Rather than try to find a plan, the very next thing that the king of Aram says that lets us know he's not that smart is go and find out where he is so I can send troops to seize him. If I was in his army, I would look to him like, what? I mean, I know that it's a good idea for us to seize him, honestly, so he can't keep telling us, telling the king the plans. But you realize you just said that out loud, right? So, you know that he know we're going to be coming. Like, I could not have been in the Aramean army, y'all. Like, 
I I I couldn't have did it. I couldn't have did it because I would have looked at the king like he was stupid and been like, bruh, I literally just told you. But this is also a good point to take note of right here. Because the Aramean army did what the king commanded. So despite how stupid it sounded. So verse um verse thirteen in verse 14, it talks about how he says, go find out where he is so I can send troops to seize him. So they went and got a report that Elijah was in Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army to surround the city. And they went and surrounded the city. Now, I know if I was in that army, I would think that's stupid to roll up on somebody that knew he was coming. But the fact that his army was able to submit to the authority that their king had, despite the idiotic reasoning behind it and the behavior because that's not a smart idea especially considering what we just told you and what has happened in the past they did it anyway which is something to really take note of and something that i really kind of want to park right here and talk about for a second being able to submit to authority especially authority that we may not agree with or we may not understand or we may not even want to respect for whatever the case may be or whatever the reason may be um because if we we saw at the end of that story from the first read through that the king of israel was also submitted to the spiritual authority that elijah had due to the relationship we have with god and when he listened and said you know should i kill them these prisoners of war because they're blind in my city like if i was the king of israel i'd be like surely it's not supposed to kill them but he didn't so you have to be able to submit to authority even if you don't agree with what it is that that authority is doing. Romans 13.1 says, Everyone must submit to governing authority, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. And as Christians, and as people, especially in America, we don't like to hear that. But whether you like it or not, all authority is from God. But... One thing to take note of is just because all authority is from God, all authority is not godly. But just because the authority is not godly doesn't mean we don't have to respect it. Now, y'all know we don't have to look very far for examples of ungodly authority. From that boss on your job to who's in the Oval Office right now, we do not have to look very far for examples of ungodly authority. But I don't know about y'all, but my faith is not who's my faith is not who is not in who's ever is in power. My faith is in the one who has all power and the one who allowed that person in power to be in power and have the authority that they have. Then if you continue to look at that short passage of scripture, um, Romans um, 13 verses one through seven, it basically talks about respecting authority. If you go down to. Verse four, it says um, those who are in authority are God's servants and are sent there for a very purpose. So whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, whether the people who have authority are in power, like it or not, believe it or not, they are doing God's work. All things work together for the good of those who serve the Lord and called according to his purpose. So that boss that you don't like at your job, that 
you know, you don't even know how they got the promotion, how they even got to be your boss. You don't understand why they make the decisions they make because it don't make sense. And they got you jumping through all these hoops. That teacher, that professor, that coach, you have to respect the authority that's on them. Which a lot of times we find that to be difficult for us. But what I'm learning, what I'm learning and what I'm starting to realize is that we can respect the authorities that's on someone and not respect the behavior because the authority comes from God, but the behavior may not. And if you go down to Romans 13, verse seven, it says, give respect and honor to all those who are in authority. Not some, not the authority that's godly and good behavior and all that. Give respect and honor to all those who are in authority. Now, I know what y'all thinking. And I know y'all don't like to hear that. Akil, are you saying that we supposed to honor and respect ungodly authority and cruel people and all that? I'm not saying that. I'm just going to let the Bible interpret itself. And it says respect all authority. If you need another example, I call to the witness stand 1 Peter 2.17. It says, fear God and respect the king. And then I don't know what you're thinking, but how can you fear God who you do not see? When you don't even respect the authority of the person that you can see that he allowed to have that authority. And just to give some context in the first Peter 217, when Peter wrote that verse, the king that he was historically referring to is King Herod Agrippa one, which anybody who knows anything about King Herod Agrippa, for those of y'all that don't know, he ruled Judea in about 37 B.C. And he was killing infants in an attempt to get rid of baby jesus because of the prophecy and to gain political favor with the jews so how can peter write in scripture to fear god and respect the king when the king that he's saying to respect is out here killing infants but it has that's what the bible says though you respect the authority that's on the person not necessarily their behavior and you have to be willing to see beyond that man, that woman, that boss, that coach, that president, teacher, professor, whoever, that pastor. You have to be willing to see um, beyond them and their behavior and their actions and sometimes even their belief systems and respect the authority that's on them. Even if you don't agree with it or recognize the authority that they have, you have to respect it, which everything in the kingdom is upside down. And the way we normally approach it, and especially here in America we say to a leader or just anybody, you have to earn my respect, which I get respect has levels and has to be earned and things like that. But the kingdom says, I see the authority that is on you. So you already have my respect. I honor and respect the position that you have, not your behavior. And that's just in, um, in reference to ungodly authority, quote unquote. Because if we being honest, sometimes we as believers get put in um um, God allows us to have authority in positions of power. And sometimes even believers, we abuse them. But we still want people to respect the authority that we have. But that's that's something else. But I just really wanted to to get that point across that we have to be willing to respect authority because all authority comes from God, even if that authority is, quote unquote, ungodly. And that's what um, the Aramean army did. Um, they respected the authority that was on their king and his commands to go roll up on a dude that knew they was coming. Dumb, but they did it anyway because they respected that authority. Back to the story, though. Um, 
So Elisha, he's he's down south in Dothan, Alabama. He in the dot. <laughs> Um, verse 14, um, so one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning, so Elijah's servant gets up the next morning, goes outside, sees horses and chariots surrounding the city and is going crazy. Like, oh my gosh, what do we do now? And then he starts crying to Elijah, like, Elijah, bro, you're not going to realize this. I went outside this morning and there's, there's chariots and horses and all this stuff outside. And Elijah's just like, bro. Chill. Elijah just calmly tells his servant, don't be afraid. There are more on our side than are on theirs. If I was Elijah's servant and I'll wake up and go outside and see chariots and stuff surrounding the crib, I probably would have been kind of scared, too. And let's, let's just be honest. I don't know. I don't care how saved you are. If you walked outside your house and saw a SWAT team with automatic rifles and red dots pointed at your head and your chest and all that, I don't think you would be able to just be like, oh, hey, what y'all doing here? Like, you would probably, you know, be on edge too. So when, uh, when his servant goes to Elijah, Elijah's just like, verse 16, don't be afraid. There are more with us than with them. Then Elijah prayed, oh, Lord, Open his eyes and let him see. Then the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elijah was filled with horses with chariots of fire. Which I just want to park it right here again. A couple of verses later, um, the response to how Elijah's servant re reacted shows us how fear can paralyze us and can even keep us sometimes from serving the Lord and from receiving the blessings that we have because it causes us to run away or to really focus on what's causing us all the fear instead of focusing on the God that's on our side. And it's important to note um, how Elijah handled that situation. And if I can be honest and open with y'all for a second um, and just really be real for a second, this is something I struggle with, not the having fear, but just one thing to notice from this part, everybody is not, as a believer, everybody's not going to be on the same faith level as you and have the same level of faith that you have and the same belief system that you have. But when you're the person that has a little bit, and that's that could be in general or in a situation, and when you have a little bit more faith than somebody else in a certain situation or just in general, we have to treat the situation like Elijah did. And if I can just be honest for a moment, I... I used to struggle and sometimes still do struggle with that i would encounter a situation with somebody that had a little less faith than i did or sometimes a lot less faith and i used to get angry at them i couldn't tell you why and sometimes i would even get judgmental like bruh you tripping like where your faith at like you know and there's there's and i i really looked at this story as a blueprint on how to handle that so notice what elijah did when his servant came to him like spazzing out over what he saw he didn't get mad at him he didn't you know ridicule ridicule him criticize him anything like that all he did was he encouraged him he instructed him and then he prayed for him that his eyes be open so in situations when we're dealing with someone who doesn't have the same level of faith that we have 
we can instruct them, we can encourage them, and we can just pray a simple prayer. Just pray that their eyes be open. And it doesn't have to be this long, thought-out paragraph, explain it. No. We can just be like, bro, chill, chill, calm down. I understand. I understand where you're coming from. I see the obstacle that's in front of us. But we got to remember, we're, we're children of the Most High. We're called. If God be for us, who can be against us? Like, yes, I get, I get that this obstacle in front of us, whatever we're facing is pretty big, but our God is bigger. And then we can just pray that God opens their eyes to the revelation of who he is and that he's on their side, just like how Elijah did with his servants. So when Elijah's servant went back outside to check, because you know he did after God opened his eyes, and he, he clearly saw that the hillside was covered with chariots of fire. Now, if I was Elijah's servant and I went from wigging out to seeing chariots of fire, I'd have got a little cocky like, oh, yeah, nah, they trip rolling up on her like that, knowing we got chariots of fire with us. They don't want no smoke. I, boy, I would have went outside talking all kinds. Elijah would have had to pull me back in. Because I would have went outside so bold, talking all kinds of trash, like, y'all don't even know what's going to happen. Pull up if you want to. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But um, yeah, uh, yeah. But um, so whenever we're dealing with some situations where somebody has less faith than us, instruct them, encourage them, and just do like Elijah did and pray that their eyes be opened. So verse 18 as the Aramean army started advancing towards Elijah, he played. <laughs> this is my favorite part, bro. He prayed, oh, Lord, please make them blind. And God just does it. Like. He, he just does it, which the Bible is so beautiful, bro, because it's like when you have that relationship with God, it's like he's your dad. And you, you don't have to beg your dad to do what he already wants to do for his kids. You know what I mean? So he just does it. Like, imagine being in the Airman Army, bro. Like I said, I couldn't have been in the Airman Army, bro, because I know this was a long day. Your king all upset, think you a snitch. Then you tell him, I ain't no snitch. God is the one telling Elijah your plans, and he telling the king. Then... The king sends you out to roll up on a dude that know you coming after the information you just gave him. So now you get called a snitch. Now you got to pull up on a dude that know you finna pull up on him. Then you go do it anyway. You think it's finna be a piece of cake because it seemed kind of easy. And as soon as you go pick up the dude, you just turn into Ray Charles. Your whole army. Y'all were just Ray Charles. Bad day, bro. I couldn't have. <laughs> I, that, the Airman Army was having a real bad day, bro. I could not have been a part of that. So, um, verse 19, so Elijah, and this is, this is, <laughs> this is another reason why Elijah is one of my favorite prophets in the Bible, bro. So Elijah went out and told them after he had prayed that the Lord make them blind and God just did it. Like no questions asked, just, I could not have had, boy, don't let me get a relationship with God where I can start praying for blindness on folks. Cause y'all of y'all be out here walking with sticks not even gonna lie to you you can come at me sideways if you want to lord please make them blind that that's gonna be it for you but so elijah verse 19 elijah went out and told them you have come the wrong way this isn't even the right city follow me and i will take you to the man you are looking for now 
Elijah literally just prayed that the Lord make them blind. And he did it. And I'm not saying, I, I, when I first read this story, I'm thinking, Elijah, I know you didn't just tell some blind people to follow you. Like, come on, sir. You need to chill. And I, I, bro, this part was so funny to me. And I don't know how they did it, if they held a rope or they held hands or they just followed the sound of his voice. But somehow, some way, Elijah led a group of blind soldiers, a blind army, into the heart of Samaria. Then verse 20, as soon as they entered Samaria, Elijah prayed, Oh, Lord, open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they discovered that they're surrounded by Samaria. So imagine, bruh, again, I could not have been a part of the Airman Army, bruh. I get called a snitch. Now I got to pull up on a dude that know I'm coming. Then I go blind. Now this dude tell me to follow him knowing good and well I'm blind. So now I got to, now I'm bumping into stuff, trying not to fall in ditches and all that stuff. And then suddenly the lights come back on and I can see again and I'm surrounded in the King City. Bro, <laughs> the airman army was just having a bad day, bro. Like, mm. so when the king of Israel, so verse, so verse 21, when the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elijah, my father, should I kill him? Should I kill him? If I was the king of Israel, I would have said the same thing. You just bring my enemies casually into my city and they're blind. Clearly, this is how you want me to kill them. They'll never see it coming. Literally. Never would have thought coming. But Elijah was like, no. We don't kill prisoners of war. Give them food and drink and send them home to our master. So Elijah was basically like, dude, what you killing them for? Elijah basically told the king of Israel to throw a party for them and then send them back home. Like, pay for their Uber. Like, send them back home after you give them some food and something to drink. And like we just said, you got to be able to submit to that authority. The king of Israel was submitted to the spiritual authority that Elijah had due to his relationship with God. He did it. And then verse 23, the king made a great feast for them and sent them home to their master. And the Aramean raiders stayed away from Israel. They stayed away from Israel and then come back. And you got to think, bro. Just you know, parking at this last section of the story, a lot of believers want to see their enemies killed. But what if God, may I submit to you, while you want to see your enemies disappear, what if God wants to see your enemies saved and brought into the kingdom as family? Do you have the humility and are you willing to be obedient enough to do that? To be able to show love to people that don't show love to you. To be able to respect and honor and show love to people that backstab you. And it's like God wants us to be in a position where we can show his love through us. Where he can show his love to people through us. Even people that may not, that we feel may not be deserving of it. Because there was a period of time, to be honest, none of us deserve it. His grace, his love, his mercy. None of us deserve it, bro. And we can't. We're not judge, jury, and executioner. Can God trust you to show love to somebody who you think may not deserve it, who is attacking you? 
And it's like, imagine what that does. Imagine how he can turn someone's heart if he can use you as a vessel to show his love through you. I thought they was going to backstab me the way I backstabbed them, but instead they loved me. I thought they was going to talk about me the way I talked about them, but instead they helped me. Like, imagine what God can do through you if you allow him to be a vessel of just love and positivity. So, yeah, the king made a great feast for them and sent them home to their master and they never came back. Now, if I was and just think about it, bro, like I said, if I was part of the airman army and I had the day that I had and I didn't rode up on this man and went blonde and he led me to the city where the king was and I, you know, get my sight back and I'm surrounded. And clearly they could. I'm knowing I'm about to I would just be expecting to die. Instead, they give me some food and something to drink. And then tell me to go back to the crib. The next time that king of Aram sent me back, I'm not going. Mm -mm. No, dude, no, I'm not doing it no more. And it's like, maybe that's what, maybe that's what one of the things we should take from it. To show love, you know, like peace is possible. But you can't always be willing to, to 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 kill. You know what I mean? But um the next three points that I wanna give y'all um are kinda are kinda nuanced, I must admit, but they're very powerful, even though they're redundant. But I'm gonna give it to y'all anyway, because this is what I got. Um and that's point number one being that we won. So John 1633 in the NLT said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart for I have overcome the world. So with that being said, your fight is fixed. It's already over. You won. Period. Point blank period. And I know is that a lot of believers approach life from the perspective of not trying to lose. But when you start living life, like you already won versus you're not trying to lose. Imagine how much better quality of life you can have, which the scripture already told us. It didn't say it wasn't going to get hard. It didn't say you would never have tests. You would never have trials. You'll never have tribulations. It says, despite all that, take heart because I have overcome the world. So we already won. So that, yes, the trials are going to come, the tests are going to come, all that's going to come, but you already have the victory. Point number two is basically that we're winning. Romans 8, verse 31 through 37 says, what shall we say about such wonderful things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself gives us right standing with himself. So then who will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all things, overwhelming victory is ours through christ that loved us we are winning so despite what you're going through 
despite whatever trial or tribulation, you've already won. You already have the victory. You are winning. Now, the question is, how do you determine winning? If you determine winning by how stress-free your life is, whether you have trials, tribulations, tests or not, may I submit to you that you may not have the kingdom perspective. If the basis of you winning is that you have a stress-free life, of course, you're never going to feel like you're winning. But the basis of winning is having a right standing with God through the blood shed by Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe me, how do you think the how do you think the disciples were able to endure the persecution that they did? And as I recall, God never promised us comfort in the scriptures. You know, if you have all the nice stuff, the luxury stuff, fine. If you don't have it, fine. And yes, God does want us to have life more abundantly. But just because you don't have the big house or the fancy car or whatever, doesn't mean you have a, a horrible life. And it's like, bro, just because stuff happens to you doesn't mean that God hates you or that, you know, whatever the case may be. No, but it's all perspective. It's your perspective. So me personally, I try not to worry about a lot of stuff because when I realize, you know, the call that's on my life and that God has chosen me and. You know, just the scriptures that I just read, that overwhelming victory is mine through Christ that loved me. What is anything I'm going through for real? Like, it's all temporary anyway. So regardless of which I'm trying to allow stress me out, what trial or tribulation, what test is being thrown at me, one thing's for certain. You know, I'm still human, so I might be affected at some point in time. But at the end of the day, I'm going to give it to God and I'm going to give me some sleep. And that's just that's just how it's going to be. Because I'm not finna let nothing stress me out or I'm not finna look at a problem through the lens of how big it is. No, I'm gonna look at it at the lens of who's on my side and how big my God is. And know and stand on what his word says and that I already have the victory. And point number three is simply that we win. For every child of God defeats evil in this world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win the battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5 in the NLT. So we don't win because of what we do. We win because Jesus is the Son of God and we know it. And we can count it all joy. And like I said, bro, that's why the, per the disciples were able to face the persecution that they faced and count it all joy. Because they had a revelation of who Jesus was. If you don't believe me, I call it to the witness stand, Acts chapter number four. Go read it. I think it was, um, I think it was Peter and John, like in Acts chapter number four, they went to the, 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 the gate of the temple called Beautiful and they saw the man that was crippled and they said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I'll give you, um, get up and walk. And then the man went up and got it walking and walked into the temple and scared everybody. And then they went and, 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 and took um, Peter and John and, and beat them up and quizzed them and told them to stop preaching. And Peter and John said, no, we're not going to stop preaching. So they beat them up some more and then let them go. And then Peter and John went and told everybody like it was just the greatest thing that ever happened to them. And then they prayed for boldness from the Holy Spirit so they can go out and do it again. Like, they were excited about that. I want to be like that. Not necessarily getting beat up and, and, and stuff and all that, but I want to be able to go through life 
and when stuff happens and stuff, you know, when life hits me and, and tests and trials and tribulations come, I don't approach them from a place of sorrow. I'm able to have joy in those moments and I'm able to allow God to use me to help people and be able to walk like I already have the victory, even when what I'm seeing and what I'm going through doesn't really match up. And then at the end, I know I have the victory and I get it and I walk in that even when I don't seem like I have it at the moment. That's how I want to be. And if that's another thing you can take from this, it's being able to have that. I remember, um, I said, I remember like it happened a long time ago, bro. Like, um, just like a couple weeks ago, my mom, um, was in the hospital. Uh, she, my mom has lupus and, um, over the past couple of years, it's been kind of bad. She has flare-ups and stuff like that. And I remember being in high school the day before I was supposed to take my ACT or whatever. Um, I was in the hospital with my mom to like 4 a.m. Just kind of being there with her because she had a lupus flare-up. And um, having to leave the hospital at 4 a.m. to get two hours of sleep to go take my ACT. But a couple of weeks ago, my mom was in the hospital, and she just randomly texted me like, you know, Hey, I'm in the hospital, all that, trying to not make me worry. And it's like, you know, at first I was kind of like, like kind of scared, like, oh my gosh, she's been doing so well. Now she's back in the hospital. What's going to happen? And for like an hour, I was like freaking out, like terrified. And I was like, then I remembered like, mm-mm, mm-mm, get it together, brother man. No, remember what the word says. We already have the victory. By his stripes, we are healed. So I reached out to some people and told them to pray for my mom. And then I started praying for my mom. And then I just had that faith that she would be healed and started living my life and walking out and stopped worrying and believing that she would be healed. And you can, if y'all ever meet my mom, you can ask her. I remember texting my mom while she was in the hospital. And she was telling me what was going on. And I was like, it's okay, ma. I can literally text her this. I text you can literally read the messages. I can show you. I text her, Ma, you already healed. We just waiting on time and reality to catch up. Because I had that revelation and I had that faith and I had that belief. And I was walking in that victory and standing on what God's word said. And the next day, my mom was at the hospital. Back at home. Everything was perfectly fine. But even if she would have been in that hospital for another week or another month, eventually I know that she would have been healed. And I wasn't going to stress. I wasn't going to worry. I was going to walk in victory. I was going to walk in faith, knowing and believing and standing on what God's word says. So when you have that close relationship with God, the way you see things in your perspective is different. It's better. So I encourage all of you to, to, to spend that time to grow in your faith to not only believe but stand on what God's word says and approach every situation that life throws at you, not from the perspective of how big it is, but from how big your God is and who's on your side. Um, that's pretty much all I have for y'all today. I hope y'all enjoyed that story, man. I hope y'all really got blessed from it, really, really got something from it, really got a takeaway. So with that being said, um, we're just going to close in prayer, and then I'll see y'all next time. So uh, if y'all would, just go with me one more time in prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for another successful episode. I just want to thank you for just how you've been able to use me to just share what you've placed on my heart to your people, God. I just pray that, you know, everybody's able to, was able to just grasp something and really lean in and just really take to heart what it is that you've spoken. And I just pray that, you know, the course of the next week, the course of the next year, the course of the rest of our lives, that we will be able to look at every situation that life throws at us and realize that we already have the victory and that we can just stand on what your word says and who we are and whose we are and who you are to us, God. I'm thankful for the transformation that's going to take place in the hearts and in the minds and in the bodies of the people that are listening in the hearts and the minds and the bodies of your believers and your servants. And I'm thankful for the victory that you have given us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So with that being said, I'll see you guys next time. Make sure y'all go against the grain this week and walk in victory.